The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. Monday, May 6, 2019, and yes, you are tuned into the Star Wars edition of the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, powered by the Roar Network at thegorillaposition.com, <laughs> presented and simulcast on Hameen Media, <laughs> and of course, in association with Last Word on ProWrestling.com. On this week's show, we're talking the return of the Jericho, the WWE Strikes Back, Clone Wars, and of course, the Empire's return to Nalhada. But before we dive in, it's my obligation to remind you this is a podcast by the fans for the fans, bringing you all the news that is news from across the professional wrestling world. Find us online at hittingthemarks.com, hackerhameen.podbean.com. My name is Jargo. I'll be your host for the day, but give it up for my tag team partner, the Saboba, to my little orphan Annie, Rick. Welcome back to your show. It's me, it's me! It's that order, the P to the V, Rick Vickery here, and I didn't understand anything that you just said. Yeah, yeah, of course, Huckleberry, not a Star Wars fan. You you were out in celebrating the Kentucky Derby, and I was on a Star Wars marathon, just totally nerding out, thanks to our friends at TBS. Yeah, we had a, uh, what was Derby, Derby de Mayo, uh, two big days uh, for work for me, tons of events going on, ton of, tons of excitement. Yeah, of course, you know, we had uh, everything surrounding the Derby on Saturday. Uh, we're going to get to a lot of that on hashtag HGM Sports, but very confusing day. And, you know, two people that, you know, that I was happened to be with. And uh, my dad, who had won a jackpot, had, had been awarded the money, $800. They came back and had to take that back from him. Oh, man. Uh, my old business associate, Dominic Camarco from uh, from Babes, who I record from quite often, uh, he had actually threw the book he had hit for 1800 Ouch. Uh, and then when everything kind of the smoke cleared, he had nothing to show for it. <laughs> Almost as confusing as WWE main roster programming. And of course, Huckleberry, I guess this is the lead. Everybody's been talking about it for a week. Raw and SmackDown have reached non-holiday record lows this past week. The Raw rating, 1.56, 1.898 million viewers at the end of the show. The lowest non-holiday ever. Wow, you know, just it, it just seems that this is a headline week after week. 
the new lows when it comes to you know WWE television and the ratings. Are they showing any alarm themselves? Because I'm not seeing it yet. No, I'm not seeing anything uh, with the exception of what they're trying to do tonight. I mean, you could say that that is a little bit of a call for an alarm, but we'll get into your raw and SmackDown previews a little bit later. Try to tell you what they've got going on this week. But I guess this is the hey, more- as, as of note, I will be there tonight. Oh, well, very nice. Very nice. I, I will be there. Um, I, I guess the biggest concern here isn't even necessarily the rating. The biggest thing is we have lost between the opening of Raw after Mania to the conclusion of Monday Night Raw last week. The WWE lost 1.2 million viewers. 846,000 after the Raw after Mania and then the drop-off this week was 438,000. So roughly 1.2 million people that started watching the Raw after Mania have tuned out by the end of Raw last week. If that's not a call for an alarm, I don't know what in the hell is. Well, let's really look at you know what they presented to us programming-wise over these the course of these last few weeks. We've never, you know, the shakeup is supposed to be everyone, you know, that has listened to me regularly knows how down and sour I am on the shakeup. It, it's me. It is, you know, lowest common denominator booking. It is just such lazy creative when they could be using these these potential roster moves and contract things to kind of play into that hashtag real era to present kind of like that. We have moves happening throughout the year instead of just arbitrarily. OK, this one day a year, we're just going to start moving people around. But for WWE, yeah, they, they present that as an exciting time. And a lot of fans do look forward to that. You know, there's a lot of hype around it. Who's going to be on the move? So even if, in that sense, it still should be exciting. This is the first time they've ever moved it up this close to WrestleMania. I mean, it was only two weeks out. So when you have the shakeup two weeks out, you essentially just killed your biggest wall of the year, the night after Mania, because you're supposed to not really know what's going to happen there. You're going to start tying up these loose ends. You've got debuts. Well, you kind of, you know, shit to bet on that. Then when you get to the shakeup yourself, no one knew what was happening. There was no structure. Even the announce team and trying to put the thing over couldn't explain what was happening. And I think that just, you know, that just turned off a lot of viewers. That and it didn't even stick. I mean, we've still got people moving that we didn't even hear about. Yeah, I mean, here we are two weeks later, and it seems like the shakeup is still going. Now, I know that there's going to be people like the professor, Chabela Vera Cruz, who are going to try to tell me, well, we get this drop off every year. And you're right, we do, but not like this. Typically, when you look at the 10-week rolling average, the drop off last year was 14%. This year, it was 35%. So, yeah, there is a drop-off expected, but we're talking a much more substantial drop-off than what you expect. Now now you're over-doubling your, your last biggest drop-off. This week's number down 27% from 2018. Two years ago, the rating was 224 And, you know, I keep hearing, you know, oh, well, the NBA playoffs, the NHL playoffs. Well, that shit was going on last year, too. You can't use that as an excuse. This happens every year. Those things have been going on since WWE programming, since Raw SmackDown has been in existence. And the NBA playoffs are down 11%. And I can tell you why. LeBron James. LeBron James didn't make the playoffs. He's playing on the West Coast. Half the country lives on the East Coast. There's no intriguing Eastern Conference matchups. That's why you're down 11%. 
There you go. Uh, let me ask you this. I, I know, you know, we've, we've got Roman, the announcement he is going to open Raw this evening. Uh, I think what's even more intriguing there is that they actually just went and canceled the entire SmackDown Live um, live show yeah. that was supposed to be taking place in Louisville. Yeah, and I guess they have rescheduled that show for October, which I wonder if that's actually a reschedule or if they come through about every six months. I think it's almost on that cycle. And looking into it a little bit, the ticket sales were abysmal for it. So I don't know if this is so much them realizing that they needed to pull something big for Raw to try to spike that rating. Because I just I just don't see where you have Roman Reigns saying he's going to open up your show exciting enough viewers to, to come back for this thing. Uh, this is something that we're going to talk about a little bit later on as well. The The key demographic, 18 to 49, that's the key demo for all of these TV shows because that's what the advertisers are paying the most money for. The Raptors and Sixers had a 1.5 and a 1.4. Raw had a 0.8. I mean, so the, the NBA is literally doubling them up inside of that key demographic. 3.6 million viewers and 3.8 million viewers for the Western Conference game. Raw, 2.3 million viewers at its peak. They even lost to Love and Hip Hop, which also pulled a 0.8. But Monday Night Raw is not even right behind NBA at this point. Well, they, they regularly, to kind of to put it up grand scope, they regularly lose that program. I mean, that is nothing new here. So it's not like they're just trying to catch the NBA or whatever sport. They are regularly trailing uh, the love and hip-hop programming. That and that curse of Oak Island on the History Channel, that's the other one that's kind of a thorn in there. So well, you know what's really going to be interesting here is gearing up. Uh, you know, I mean, we've got some time out. But this is that's really going to be when they're settling in for Fox after that while is, you know, when we start seeing this political stuff pick back up. Yeah. And SmackDown did not perform any better. SmackDown with Roman Reigns now hits a point five inside of that core demographic. They fall all the way to seventh place. The Rockets and Warriors game triples their overall viewership, but they get a 2.4 inside of that 18 to 49 demographic, five times the viewership that SmackDown had. Bucks and Celtics double overall viewership. That was head-to-head. And then you even had the NHL. Bruins and Blue Jackets pulled the same rating as SmackDown as they pull in seventh place in the Tuesday night cable ratings. That's not what Fox paid for. Yeah, you're talking about, too, in a, in a lot of these matchups, very small markets with the with the little interest in there. Uh, I know Boston's going to give you a great boost, but Milwaukee, not so much. And then when, if you're looking you know, at the hockey, you know, just Columbus and uh, – who is who's Columbus got right Boston. now? Boston. Oh, yeah, the Bruins. So you still got that Boston market there, but Columbus and Milwaukee – uh, not major marketplaces for you. Yeah, and it's not like New York is watching for Boston. I mean, right. you know, that, that that's just not going to happen. Uh, Miz and Mrs. also bad news. With The Miz shifting over to Monday Night Raw, they dropped 100,000 viewers, 840 to 940. I wonder how much that's just bad timing, uh, you know, where they're placed at. Well, yeah, you're, because you're, then you're getting into that Rockets and Warriors head-to-head, too. Well, no, you know, not even that. By the time, I mean, you're still going to relate Miz and Maurice to WWE. And that SmackDown had a drop. Yeah. the, the So that's your lead in. I mean, so by this time, people already tuned out to WWE. They don't want anything to do with you. Yeah. A drop off of 603,000 viewers versus one week a year ago. 
Um, this week, the rating down 0.13 compared to Raw's 0.14. SmackDown with a 1.38 rating. Last week, it was 1.53. 14% drop versus last year. From, from SmackDown to Miz and Mrs., I wonder where that number goes when you get to Chris Lee after, after that. Yeah. The other thing that I would be intrigued to know is uh, what was that awful reality show that you watched? Uh, which one? I watched tons of awful the, reality The one that shows. was on USA after SmackDown with the, the, the cheating oh, women. Uh, and Temptation men. Island. Yeah, Temptation Island. I'd be curious to know what those demographics were as well. Because, you know, they keep saying, well, even well you know, the WWE, that's got to be. All the WWE. Well, WWE, it's got to be all fan friendly. It's got to be PG. I'd be curious to know what something that's not PG immediately after SmackDown, what the rating is. Hey, I enjoyed it. Oh, I'm I, I'm not I'm not even passing judgment at this point. But you know this this does beg a couple of questions because we know AEW is out there looking for a TV deal. Impact Wrestling is out there looking for a TV deal. MLW is out there looking to improve their TV deal. What is the market here? Because you know if I'm Warner Media. And I find this out. I'm calling up Cody, and I'm going to be like, dude, they lost 1.2 million viewers in three weeks. Why in the hell am I going to put your TV show on my network? Well, I think, you know, for your selling point, if you're anyone from AEW, and I doubt that Cody's the one taking that phone call. It's, that's a little seems a little over where he would be at negotiation. Well, he is an executive vice president. I mean, dude, they've only got like 50 of those, right? Uh, I don't know which one handles the TV phone calls. But you're exactly right here. And now you're if you're any of those promotions, I guess your argument is that you are trying to be such an extreme alternative. And you point out the things that we're talking about where they don't have interesting stories. They're not building true characters. And it's and the show's just confusing with inside itself. And you want to say, you know, we're not any of that. We want to take you back to a, a better time, a glory day with the professional wrestling and, and recapture that magic. Now, if you're the, the networks, though, you, you're really pressing to see if there is that need for that network place. I mean, certainly there is to an extent uh, in a case of, you know, we've seen the tickets that they've sold with these. You know, they're moving. But where is that max? And how do you how does that cross over until your mainstream marketing? And is, is there enough of that consumer that you could pull back into this thing to to really support your platform? It obviously, obviously out there, just outside of AEW, look how difficult it is for a lot of these promotions to find any quality television. You know, outside of you know Ring of Honor, which is which is exist simply for cheap, uh, you know, market to marketplace television. No one else has been able to strike any kind of deal that we that we see like WWE doing. We'll talk about ROH here in just a second. Um, as far as AEW, Impact, MLW, I mean, I feel like the argument has got to be they lost 1.2 million viewers in three weeks. Like it, That's 1.2 million people who want to watch professional wrestling that are just not happy with the product. The, the, those are That's our core demographic right there. That's got to be the most logical argument. I just don't know if Warner Media buys it. Well, like I said, you know, the question I'm asking you is, okay, you can show me a drop off, but where can you reassure me that you can grab that viewer back? Yeah. Yeah. 
You brought and, up and ROH. Again, though, well, you oh, know, again, ahead. sorry, you know, we're talking about Ring of Honor. It, it pretty much exists because of their it's easy television. You're looking for these big deals for these other promotions. You know, we've seen Impact struggle for how many, you know, it just seems season to season, year to year, that they're looking for some kind of deal. Now they're on one of their own parent companies' networks just trying to sustain, and they're trying to do some – they're doing some cool things over there on Twitch, but that's great. But where does that – that's not going to get anywhere near what you need revenue-wise for advertising or, and whatnot to offset that. The kind of the rumor no one knows for sure right now you know, why hasn't anyone tried what we're hearing from AEW to go purchase television time again? That used to be the norm inside the industry. Now, granted, back then when they would purchase TV time, that was essentially an info commercial to get you to a live event. WWE's changed that game now where it was worried about making their money off the television. And we've seen such a decline in their live events. Yeah, absolutely. Um <clears throat> You bring up ROH. I, I think it is worth noting what Sinclair did the other day. Sinclair has purchased 21 of the Fox regional sports networks, which would be like Fox Sports North, Fox Sports South, Fox Sports St. Louis. Uh, they went and they bought 21 of those networks along with the broadcast rights to all of those teams inside of those markets. I have a full listing if anybody would, would like to see it. Um, this is a huge news for Ring of Honor because, like you said, they're cheap syndicated programming that they can put on all of these networks. This is a huge boost for ROH. Yeah. It, now, what, you would know this. Use your expertise here. With those regionals, would that have would that have any kind of effect with the overall big deal with WWE and then the, what we've heard about them actually going to FS1? No. No, because this is all the regional sports networks. Okay. This is I, I just didn't know if there was any kind of tie-in or conflict of interest from one, you know, nope. one division, if you will. No, nope, because here's what's really going on here. All right. This is all actually part of the Disney and Fox deal. When Disney bought all of that Fox content, it put them over their allowed FCC market share. So they knew going into it that they had to sell off those stations. They had no marketing leverage in this thing at all. This was like WWE buying WCW, man. They basically got these networks for pennies on the dollar because Disney just had to move them. That's really what it could comes down see, to. Could you see a, a potential rebranding of those? Oh, absolutely. Because, I mean, it's they're not going to call it Fox Sports North if they're owned by Sinclair Broadcasting. and But, I mean, the important thing is they bought all those broadcasting rights for all those teams. That's like built-in network ratings because there's two things that really draw on live TV right now. Politics and sports. That's it. Yeah. Well, and you got to think, too, you know, just a lot. I mean, everyone, you know, how um, consumed we have become with, with our politics now. I mean, you see you know, more participation and interest maybe than ever before, uh, certainly in our lifetimes. You know, I don't want to speak, you know, going back to like all the movement you had in the sixties and all that, but, uh, other than that though, I mean, just think about what sports does. It just, it's a, it's a great occupier of space and time. And it's DVR proof. That's the thing. It's DVR proof. And that's what Fox paid for. 
They paid for DVR proof. They paid for programming that you have to tune into, not programming that you're going to record on your DVR and fast forward through three quarters of it, not programming that you're going to go watch on YouTube in three minute clips. They want live programming that you have to tune in to see. That's what Fox paid for. Not not seventh on a cable rating on a Tuesday night. That's uh, that's a tremendous point. You know, it's it's for, you have to be able to present that. I wonder how much WWE tried doing that, like that they are must see TV. Uh, now that's going to backfire a little bit on them. Yep, because their social media numbers are way up. And why is that? Because people are not watching your show. Your ratings are way down. And Rick, it's interesting too because like this dark side of the ring. The ratings for that thing continue to rise. The Randy Savage episode did 154,000. Montreal did 181,000. Brody did 214,000. And the Von Erics, 234,000. On a little, I hate to use the term, copyright Triple H, pissant channel like Vice TV. Uh, actually, I finally got caught up on those. I did a little binge watching. They had run them all uh, each week. I think they're kind of building up. Uh, so they get going at like last week, they got it going at seven o'clock. So I sat and watched through all of them. Uh, yeah. So some just tremendous, tremendous uh, programming. Yeah. Great watch. It, it kind of got me thinking, though. It's a two part thing it, you have people, these ratings on Vice TV, uh, phenomenal numbers for them, for these programs. People that want to seek this out to learn about that side of it. Is it so much that you're going behind the scenes or that it's, it's kind of nostalgia. It's down, you know, a walk down memory lane. And it's very cinematic the way that they shoot it. It's like a, a mix of a documentary style mixed with live footage mixed with like a dramatization that's very cinematic looking like they're very easy to watch. And with them only being an hour, they're a breeze to watch. It goes by so fast. Well, I was thinking about that. You know, why are people tuning into that one? And as I finish watching those, I start flipping around again and uh, another small network like that. I believe it's it, it, it obviously it is. It's one of your guys stations in a stadium TV. Yeah. And they go back. They run blocks of old school Ring of Honor. Yep. Like like Daniel Bryan, AJ yeah, Styles. Like hours Bullet of Joe. it. The old HD net great. shows. I mean, it is great to sit there and watch it. I mean, you get to go relive what those guys did there. It got me thinking about what if you took a small channel like that and you ran like you started you run blocks of the Attitude Era from like SummerSlam to WrestleMania. I wonder how those numbers would compare to the actual brand new product we're getting today. I, uh, yeah, that would be uh, fascinating to see. Well, you know, I, I guess one thing that we can look at and find out is going to be WWE blood money. Yeah, blood money is back and we need the blood money to get to a billion dollars. Blood money is back, Huckleberry, and we're bringing back all the stars. We're bringing back Goldberg and we're bringing back The Undertaker and Brock Lesnar's going to be there. Where do you even want to begin before we go back to Saudi Arabia? You notice, like, even this new kid inside the N of uh, NXT, I think his name's like Mansoon, they're announcing him from the Middle East because he's from Saudi Arabia and they refuse to say it. They will not say Saudi Arabia on WWE TV. They're making their way back to the Middle East. 
to the beautiful city of Radia. Uh, hold on here. Hold on here. That's that's more of a uh, a marketing term because now you're covering the whole region. They're representing the region, just not the Saudis. Uh-huh. Right. And I believe you, which makes us both liars. Where do you want to begin with this thing? I guess I guess let's start with Goldberg. What, do you, what are we going to do with freaking Goldberg? As, as the big group here, here, here's what gets me. And this goes back. I know they were talking about it uh, last week on Turnbuckle Talk, which you can also catch over on the, uh, the HittingTheMarks.com platform. And Carl over there, man, he brought, he had some thunder behind him, man. He was he was he was fired up. Angry Canadians. You know, it's, it's, they're know, the it's, nicest fired up guys that you possibly could get. This is you're seeing so many fans in, in their point on their show. They were talking about going back to like, why would Shawn Michaels go there? That's a waste. No, it's not a waste. You, it's all about money, people. We need to remember that is what the bottom line is, and they need this. They need this Middle East money. <laughs> they need it. They have to have this money. They do to get to a billion dollars. They have to because everything else is in the fucking shitter. <laughs> hey, my stock's in the shitter right now. I need some <laughs> Middle Eastern money to get that thing back up over a hundred. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm laughing because it's so sad that we have this company that's going to be approaching a billion dollar year and it's because they need the fucking blood money man they have to have the fucking blood money now there's a lot of good people in the middle east and now you're trying to group them all together here yeah there is a lot of good people in the middle east you know what the saudi government is not any of them uh so goldberg you know the guy who who hated getting in shape for his grand return it was too much work getting in shape to look like goldberg to come back and wrestle but if you're going to give me some of that blood money i'll, I'll take it i'll take it what are yeah. we going to what, what's goldberg going to do over in saudi arabia is he going to beat kofi kingston for the wwe championship oh man it, can you, i mean just do you want to be the individual that beats Kofi Kingston at this point? And especially if you're someone coming back for to get that big payday that you're kind of just uh, that hired gun because because their government, their their people just don't know that you haven't been active. I mean, like regularly active in 20 years. I have two theories. Either Goldberg is going to beat Kofi Kingston and become the WWE champion in Saudi Arabia or Mustafa Ali is going to win the money in the bank and cash in and take the WWE championship from Kofi Kingston in Saudi Arabia. Both my scenarios, Kofi Kingston loses the WWE championship in Saudi Arabia because, Rick, I, I think people are over it. They're like, oh, Kofi got his moment. That's cool. All right, moving on. Kofi is not the champion we want. He's out here throwing pancakes and shit. Like, people are getting upset about this, that Kofi is not presenting himself like a champion. I don't think they can get that belt off of him fast enough. I, and I don't think it's so much that it's about the pancake thing. It's just that we, I mean, there was like three opportunities for a, a really emotional speech. And what we got was just, you know, grab dick humor. Yeah, I, and I caught at one point he said something about the belt. And I was like, oh, it's not a belt at the championship. You know, it's like you can just pronounce, pal. This is why Kofi's quite possibly the greatest mid-card talent of all time. It's just little shit like that. That That's why Vince is like, nope, mid-card. 
Hmm. Sad reality. All right, so we got Goldberg going. We've got the Taker going back, right? Who yeah, else? Yeah, we well, I'm guessing the dead man, dead man versus Elias. Is that like the predictable situation here for for Saudi Arabia? Yeah, I mean, does Elias work over there? Does Elias work anywhere at this point? Well, I mean, especially there. I mean, do they? Well, you ain't going to go out and shit all over Saudi Arabia. Like, I ain't going to hear, hello, I am Elias, and you chopped off 107 people's heads at the beginning of April. Like, he ain't going to come out and say that. Well, even It's in that fucking point, I mean, true. Even for that audience, though, I mean, how many people are just even going to understand him? Well, it's not like he's going to come out and offend, you know, the Ben Salman. That ain't going to happen. Off with his freaking head. Well, I guess it doesn't even really matter. It's about the Undertaker's entrance, and then the match goes about 30 seconds. Yeah, that's that's about all it's worth. And then we also have Brock Lesnar. Now, Brock Lesnar is a little bit interesting because, you know, Brock Lesnar can still go. We also have this thing with Dana White claiming that Brock Lesnar has retired from MMA. Cormier versus Miocic 2, scheduled for August 17th. That was the Brock Lesnar spot. Rick, we know the ratings are in the toilet. We've we've talked about the panic button. Isn't the panic button picking up a cell phone, calling Brock Lesnar and saying, how much is it going to take? Isn't that the definition of the panic button? Well, and you know, on, you know, on top of, you know, what we're hearing with UFC in the retirement is that Brock would actually like to wrap up his wrestling career by next year's WrestleMania. So is that kind of the put the pressure on, on Vince and them to say, Hey, you're going to have to pay me and use me as much as you possibly can until then. Yeah. And we're going to start with Saudi blood money because that's the biggest payday that you're going to get. Well, and, and if you're, if you're Brock Lesnar, you're looking around now is what we're talking about. All right. Undertaker's coming back. That's great, man. I need somebody just like Shawn Michaels to get that big payday. So to make sure that I get more. Oh yeah. Goldberg's coming. Great. Cause Brock Lesnar's payment just went through the roof. Yep. I could see that absolutely is, happening as is, well. It's, he's at he's absolutely guaranteed to he either hits his ceiling he gets his ceiling and it's and if it's not the highest he goes up to the highest pay yeah absolutely um the other thing that this Saudi show is going to do is fuck everything up yeah it's all fucked up Huckleberry NXT takeover San Jose canceled. Not happening. That's the same weekend as Blood Money. We can't afford to have any production people in San Jose. You know, you would think that they would want to do this the same weekend as Blood Money. Maybe like they did Evolution, like a little bit of good faith. But no, we're going to move it. And now it sounds like it's going to be TakeOver Atlanta on like short notice. And it'll probably be like center stage or some shit like that. Hey, I'd like to see him go back to the old... uh... Get me the old spinning ring. <laughs> oh, God. You know, I, I did hear an interesting conversation talking about that with Dave Lagana last night. Let's take over 605. <laughs> uh, but Dave Lagana uh, said something about an NWA studio show that they, they were offered and that they're thinking about that that could be coming very, very soon. I'd be down with that. I think a studio show would work well in 2019. I'd be okay with that. I mean, essentially, isn't that what Lucha is? Well, and isn't that basically what NXT is? Yeah. I, I mean, mean, for the most part. What else would you call Full sale? 
But yeah, no takeover San Jose, which begs the question, Rick. Did they know that, and that's why they took the titles off a of Boston Hug Connection? Were they going to do what we thought they were going to do, and then they found out that they had to cancel San Jose, so fuck it, it doesn't matter anyway? Yeah, possibly. Mm-hmm. I still think that has more to go with. They had to watch the babies going over in every match at WrestleMania. I mean, hell, it was like this. only like four villains went over, right? Yeah, something So like you that. have a little bit of a surprise there with at least, you know, that – with some, you know, the the heels picking up some kind of championships. Yeah. Let's talk about John Moxley. Yeah, no longer Dean Ambrose. We're back to Mox. Uh, Huckleberry, this thing kind of erupted after we talked last week. He uh, released this on Twitter, which I think is funny because Dean Ambrose never did any kind of social media. But all of a sudden, John Moxley is verified and on Twitter releases this kick-ass video of him busting out of prison and everybody's reading everything into it and they're trying to be all metamorphical and, oh, the WWE is the prison and he's breaking it out brick by brick and now he's back to Mox and think it's work i really so i'm still looking i'm still under the impression everything here is a work uh as you kind of we were talking you you know who did this video yeah and immediately because when i watched it the first time i was like you know what i feel like i've seen this before like this is really cool but i feel like i've seen this before And it's the Seth Rollins commercial. You remember when Seth Rollins was going through the warehouse and it was the beginning of burn it down and he's breaking all those old relics and he's under a ski mask. And then at the end of it, he pulls the ski mask up. Yeah, it feels exactly like that. It's the exact production team. It feels like the 2K production team. Everything about it feels that way to me. I wonder if he'll be floating around Cincy tonight. Hmm. Wouldn't that be intriguing? Well, because, you know, he was just, you know, he lives out in Vegas, obviously. So he's out there uh, with the with the CAC. Oh, just wait. Uh, and, just wait until everybody's like, he's going to be a double or nothing. He he was spotted in Vegas. Yeah, he, he lives there. You know, it's going to happen. I'm still waiting for them to show up here at a future great show or uh, to get confirmation that, it, that I'll get to call one of his matches at Battle on the Border during this great work that we've got going on. Well, let's let's stick a, a hole in one thing, all right? The, this 90-day no-compete clause does not apply to Dean Ambrose. The contract expired, and he did not re-sign it. So the 90-day no-compete does not apply. That's when you get released. That's when right. you get the 90-day no-compete. They, they have no control over him at this point, or at least that's the optics that they want it to have. Right. As from, from the narrative, from what we know, even if – Work or shoot, once the contract expires, that is the end of the deal. Right. So the 90-day no-compete, stop talking about that. Uh, But, Rick, when we get to talking about who shot this, um, it brings up another question for me as we're talking about double or nothing. And it's the road to double or nothing and being the elite. Obviously, we have two kind of different narratives building to the same show and everything that's going on. But they feel so different doesn't the tv show have to somehow kind of blend those two worlds together i mean when we get to the tv show and these upfronts here in 10 days 
what are they going to present? I, I, I would feel much more comfortable presenting to a bunch of executives the road to double or nothing than I would the jackassy humor on being the elite. Like I, at some point, I feel like the whole narrative has to blend together, right? I think great question to bring it up there. Good point. I think what you're trying to sell is road to double or nothing because that in itself is more of a serious sports business presentation as we're being the elite is still, you know, just their baby. And it has that audience that they probably are not looking to abandon. But when you're presenting this thing, I don't necessarily know if I want being the elite to be what my program is. Right. You know, it just, seems like we have uh, a lot of work to do between the set of those two programs to bring them all together as one. So let's talk about some New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, Rick, we, we had Dantaku 1 and 2. Uh, the, the biggest call in the history of the Hitting the Marks Monday Locker Room podcast has come to fruition. Uh, we, we're starting to see the lineups for Dominion on June 9th. But we had two nights of Dantaku, Bullet Club's sixth birthday. They got themselves a new member. Kind of run through a, a couple of these highlights here. Night one, there's three matches that you should absolutely go out of your way to see. Number one, LIJ, Evil and Sonata take on Ishii and Okada. I got it at four stars. We, we, we talk about tag team wrestling. I talk with Craven about tag team wrestling a little bit uh, later on. Rick, this thing was a freaking masterpiece that ends with a referee stoppage when Evil hits the Scorpion Death Hold on Ishii. Now, like the connection here is that was Ricky Toshu's finisher. He's Ishii's mentor. Ishii didn't tap. It was just a straight-up ref stoppage. Ishii passing out. How much pain does Ishii have to be in to pass out from the pain? I was just going to say, man, I know there's no quitting in that man. Uh, So, yeah, not surprised that we don't get to submission. Uh, But to be able to inflict enough pain on him where he just loses it. Great stuff. Pretty devastating. Great freaking stuff. And we're then setting up the main event for night two with Sonata and Okada, and Sonata just hell-bent on making Okada tap out, which would prove to be his downfall. Also, night one, we have Tai Chi capturing the Never Openweight Championship from Jeff Cobb. Two and three-quarter stars. Yeah, two and three-quarter stars in a New Japan context with Jeff Cobb sucks. This match sucked. I hated everything about this match, except except seeing Miho Abe with the never open weight championship. That was the only highlight of this match. I hate freaking Tai Chi freaking hate him. Well, this is, uh, well, I guess just kind of getting themselves back on path, uh, coming from the MSG show, right? The question I have though, is doesn't this hurt Jeff Cobb? Like Jeff Cobb's never been pinned inside of ring of honor. The whole like setup to him winning the never open weight championship was Osprey got him inside of a tag match. So he's been pinned by will Osprey only inside of this relationship. And now he loses to fucking Tai Chi. Really? Well, that's what I think again, you know, they're just ring of honor. Obviously will keep moving forward with their narrative uh, about not, you know, the unbeaten since he's arrived there still, you know, a great representative as a, as a ring of honor champion or the television champion. But this is just new Japan getting back on their path. 
you know, we had talked about that going into MSG where you had had some reservations about, you know, what does this mean for, you know, like the, the lineage and how they treat their championships. And I told you to not really worry about the, the storylines going forward there because this was just about the the novelty and the marquee of that program or of that event. I kind of feel like Osprey should have went over in the garden if this is what we were going to do. Dragon Lee defeats Taija Ishimori to retain the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship. Rick, as bad as the Tai Chi match was, this match was fantastic. Four and three-quarter stars. They even put over in commentary that this is the first time that the Junior Championship has headlined a show in a very long time. Dragon Lee comes out with the Kamatashi mask, which is Hiromu Takahashi's mask from when he was in Mexico. After the match, he pays homage to Hiromu and says, I will be here waiting when you get back. Rick, I, I, I have a new solution. You know, I wanted number 20 in the best of super juniors to be Hiromu. Hiromu can't go through best of super juniors. I mean, he can't just come back and go through best of super juniors. That would be basically like suicide, right? So here's what I'm thinking now. Dragon Lee wins the tournament because then the champion can declare his own challenger. Dragon Mm -hmm. Lee wins the tournament, and then that's when we get Hiromu. Does that keep the heat on Lee, though, as a sign of respect, or is he going to present it as, I'm here to finish the job? No, he's presenting it as a sign of respect because he feels like Hiromu beat him even though he injured Hiromu. This is rightfully Hiromu's title. I'm just holding it until I can actually beat Hiromu. That's the way it's been presented at this point. And you could even sell it that way too. It's not even just out of respect thing. It's like a personal thing. Like, okay, I I know that the injury occurred and all that, but now I have to prove outside of that fluke that I'm better than him. Yep. Yep. Blocks for the best of super juniors will be announced tomorrow, Tuesday morning. Looking forward to seeing how those things shake out. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about night two. As I said, bullet club birthday party. Yeah. We get the debut of El Phantasmo. Yeah. Uh, Rick, did you have a chance to see this kid yet? Uh, I, I saw the, I haven't, I don't, I'm not as educated on his background. I know of him, and I saw this moment. Uh, and I have to tell you, I was surprised by this. I, I I don't know how I feel about this, all right? I mean, number one, he pins Will Ospreay to win this tag match. It's, it's El Fantasmo and Ishimori versus Ospreay and Dragon Lee. El Fantasmo gets the pin on Will Ospreay. But the thing to watch for me is his entrance, Becomes he comes out and he's got like a, a dubstep remix of the Bullet Club entrance, which is very, very interesting to me. Um, but he's got the light up jacket and everything, and immediately he's going to get compared to Prince Devitt, like immediately. And I don't know if the Japanese audience is going to go for that or if they're just going to freaking hate it. Hmm. Yeah, that is that will pose, a, you know, kind of an interesting setup for him. Uh, make or break really coming out of the gate if they're going to buy into this. I mean, his thing is he's the headbanger. Devitt was the real rock and rolla. But I mean, like the light up jacket and the sunglasses and everything. It was just like immediately everything about the entrance screams. Oh, my God, it's Prince Devitt. Oh, no, it's this other fucking guy that we've never heard of. 
And I, do, I don't know how that's going to work. It's going to be one of two. Because the way I watched this thing was like on a highlight video. So it had some music and stuff over top of it. What was the a, a re- initial reaction? I, I, I'll have to go back and rewatch it. I was watching it on my oh, phone. Maybe, or maybe was it still more of like you were saying like, oh, wait a minute. It reminds him so much of Devitt. Now, now once it begins to kind of sink in. You know, how, what kind of staying power will it have? And the other thing is, too, like, I, I kind of felt like it fell flat, like, I, which sounds ridiculous, but you have to consider he's in the ring with Ishimori, Osprey, and Dragon Lee. You're talking about like high spot heaven if you're into dot, dot, dot dive matches. You know, it's cool that you can walk the top rope like The Undertaker and do an acai moonsault, but did you just see that shit Osprey did? You know, like, I'm not sure that this was necessarily the opening match that I would want to have if I was El Phantasmo. Even though he pinned Will Ospreay. Yeah, but still, you know, in those styles of matches, and it is a little different in Japan that the pin's going to mean so much more there than, you know, what we were used to here in the West. But as you're saying, no, you want to come out and you want to be able to wow people and, and be the standout, have the spotlight on you in any case. And with, you know, the other three individuals that are in that ring with them, that's very hard to to get done. We know Tetsuya Naito has nothing to do on this tour, so he decided that he wanted to fight Kota Ibushi. But we never knew when this match was going to happen throughout this tour, Rick. It's been Ibushi asking Naito, so when are we going to fight? And Naito's like, eh, I don't know. When I get around to it. That's, that's basically been the build of this match going in. Uh, this one, it's a six-man tag. Shingo, Bushi, and Naito against Shoyo and Kota Ibushi. Finally, we get our answer, and it's very anticlimactic. It's going to be Tetsuya Naito versus Kota Ibushi at Dominion. I don't think that's any big surprise, right? Well, I, if, it was, if we were getting anything surprising, it would almost be a disappointment for the way this thing has been built. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I thought it might happen at night two of Dantaku. But when it was announced that this was going to be a six-man tag, obviously it had to happen at Dominion. Uh, then we get the reappearance of John Cena. No, no, none. it's not John Cena. It's Japanese John Cena. Go Ace! Hiroshi Tanahashi is back. He had, you know, elbow surgery last week. So he's good to go. <laughs> he's like, he literally is the Japanese version of John Cena. I couldn't freaking believe it. Just walk off elbow surgery. No big deal. And then, of course, he's interrupted by Switchblade Jay White. Switchblade comes out and tells Tanahashi, you're old, you're broken, you are the back of the line. You are so far the back of the line that you are behind Hiroki Goto. That's how far you are at the end of the line. That's literally what Jay freaking White said. I popped so hard. So hard. Even behind Goto. Fantastic stuff. So now I'm anticipating that it's going to be the Ace versus the Switchblade at Dominion. Sounds legit, right? Right. Just seems logical. Then we had a Huckleberry match. Two big dudes beating the ever-loving piss out of one another. Four and a half stars. Ishii versus Evil. Rick, this is... This is right up your alley if you just want to watch two big guys beat the ever-loving hell out of one another. Fantastic stuff. Four and a half stars. I saw this this on there, but I wasn't able to catch it yet. Great stuff. 
Just great stuff. I, I could watch those two guys fight forever. And then we have two guys that seemingly are going to fight forever, Ensenada and Okada. Of course, that doesn't vote well for Sonata. Sonata now 0-6 against the Rainmaker. But Huckleberry, every time, he's getting a little better. Started out, Okada beated Sonata in 15 minutes. Now he's all the way up to 38. Eventually, these two guys are going to go an hour. I think it's going to happen. Getting that build. 0-6 for Sonata versus the Rainmaker. And then we get... Oh, yeah, the appearance of Chris fucking Jericho. Who would have called that? Who whoever would have thought that we would get a Chris Jericho appearance in Fukuoka? You, you were the one. Uh, you connected the dots, called this. What was it, about two weeks ago? It, it was a while ago, man. It was a while ago. We got Jericho on the big screen, correct? He was uh, he was working an indie event in the States. Yeah, he attacks right. he attacks Kenny Omega on Saturday, and then you know he surprises Kazuchika Okada on Sunday. And Jericho says he's gonna win, but he, he's not gonna win. He's not gonna win. There's no way that he's gonna beat the Rainmaker. There's no way, right? Yeah, you keep saying that, and the more that that you that you want to hate it. We see the the evolution, or the, you know, the growing trend towards the Western style. So that he's got a chance, right? If Jericho would win the IWGP Championship, I wonder if he would even defend it before Wrestle Kingdom, or if he would just walk around claiming to be the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, the man who beat the Rainmaker for like. Eight months. Because he ain't going to do the G1. Now on this. We we know that there is a a strain in relationship uh, between AEW and New Japan. But obviously, you know, Jericho being Jericho, he he, kind of, you know, transcends all those issues. He's above that. Could they be working a deal here? Where it is, you know, Jericho's kind of, you know, the, the dirty Jericho looks like he might be on his way to victory and Kenny Omega cost him the match. Well, you know, it's funny because those two have a match like two weeks before this. Right. I mean, you know, you, as, as much as Jericho likes to hang his hat on pinning Austin and The Rock in the same night, he could beat Kenny Omega and Kazuchika Okada in the same month 20 years yeah. apart this is could be a very interesting finish here of a couple weeks i should say and then we also had a new video that popped up rick and this one's not attached to bullet club um did you did you have a chance to see this times up video that's kind of calling out juice robinson it aired both nights one and two of dontaku I did not. Rachel, let's run through this thing. So there's like some dude and he's sitting at the bar and he's got like a great big knife and he's carving like an hourglass into the bar and it's got clips of Juice Robinson intermixed with it. And then it just says, time's up. And it's obviously a new talent that's going to be debuting with New Japan Pro Wrestling and everybody's trying to figure out who it is. 
and I'm looking at this and I'm seeing leather and I'm hearing butt rock and I'm seeing a pink font on my screen, I think it's going to be fucking Dolph Ziggler. Very interesting. Could you see Nick Nemeth in New Japan Pro Wrestling? Because I feel like he's got a big enough chip on his shoulder from people talking enough shit about him for so long. I could see him doing a one-off over there and just tearing the house down with juice. Yeah, I think that would be, you know, I, and when you're talking, when, you know, we keep going back to, you know, the West. I mean, you want to generate some buzz to get people talking about you. I mean, Dolph would, I mean, the guy just did, what, 20 years with WWE, 17 years, something like that. I'm assuming that it's an American because they're coming for the United States Championship. It's clear that that's what's going on. It's it's all about the U.S. title, and I assume that this match is going to happen at Dominion. I think it's going to be fucking Dolph Ziggler versus Juice Robinson. That'll be a good one. I think the New Japan fans would love them some Dolph Ziggler. God, I'd love to see that guy in the G1. Here's a guy that we're not going to see in the G1. His name is Tamatonga. Tamatonga has requested to not be in the G1 climax. Rick, what do you think of that? Uh, you know what? It, it, I love it. it. It's just right. It's it fits his personality. Uh, he doesn't want to go through it. And, and he's. I, I think we're going to get some great material out of him not wanting to be in this thing. Probably more so than if he had competed in it. It's all about the Briscoes. That's what's going on here. He's so focused on the tag team and being the double champs. Got to worry about the Briscoes and what's going to be happening at Global Wars there in Chicago. You know, I kind of felt like the Briscoes were going to win that match. And now I'm not so sure, man. I'm, I'm kind of feeling G.O.D. walking around with G.O.D. two belts. Yeah, I like that. G-O-D two belts. You betcha. Like it. Well, then, hey, too, when do they when do they eventually turn their attention looking for three belts uh, with Villain Enterprise? Yeah, I can see that. You think the NWA, the NWA and the Briscoes can't get along, but you think that they're going to let G-O-D in the NWA? Well, this, I mean, this could be a thing where your champions, the Villain Enterprises, They've got some unfinished business with the gorillas. So maybe they're the ones that kind of, you know, kind of trigger some kind of interaction between them. Or, you know, we get regularly hear about, you know, the tradition, the rules, you know, the pride of NWA. I mean, we end up, they go a little one step themselves to look how high the stakes are. We get an unsanctioned match. Ooh, I could see that going down. Absolutely. Um, Speaking of the NWA... I'm trying to find this file now. Oh, there it is. Um, I, I heard this interview with Dave Lagana that I referenced earlier. I thought this was interesting, Rick. The median age demo for the NWA, as they polled it at the uh, Crockett Cup, was 25 to 32. Mix that with the median fan age of the WWE, which is 54. Who would have thought that the NWA would be... 30 years younger than the WWE. Well, well, here's the difference in there. And that's, that really is not surprising to me because that falls right in line for what we heard about that age at all in yep. it's the same audience. Yep. 
Yeah, it's exactly the same audience at 25 to now, 32. What, what, what does surprise me is the, you know, the largely positive reviews for the old school presentation that the NWA has received. And especially now when we, when we kind of account for that group, that age that was there. Fascinating stuff. That, that it was able to, to speak to them and then it could appreciate it, which does kind of give you a little hope that, that there is a marketplace there for that traditional, the, the traditional values. So let's throw it over to your Monday Night Raw and Tuesday Night SmackDown previews. That's right, it's Grandma's show. Yeah, Grandma watching Monday Night Raw tonight. So like you said, Huckleberry, the SmackDown live event was canceled. Roman Reigns said that he was going to kick off Monday Night Raw, and then the WWE said, oh, no, you're not. You're a SmackDown superstar. You can't come to Monday Night Raw. To which Roman Reigns said, that's cute. Have my music ready to go at 8 p.m. Rick, this is just stupid. When we talk about insulting your fans, this is what we're talking about. Just just say Roman's going to kick off Monday Night Raw. You ain't got to be all fucking cute and stupid about it. Well, you know, as long as, you know, it would have worked if just themselves, they didn't just let that ship sail years ago. You know, if they could have maintained something along the lines where there was an actual difference, sure. But, I mean, that thing, not even blurred, that thing has just been burnt down. Any of the borders between those have been burnt down. Yeah, so just say, hey, you know, the SmackDown crew has the night off. Roman's coming to Raw. SmackDown crew has the night off because we canceled the fucking show. (laughs) Who was the authority that said he can't come to Raw? Whoever runs the WWE Twitter account, evidently. I mean, could could it be more of an issue that we don't want Roman there because he just punched the chairman of the board in the face a couple weeks ago? <laughs> What's this business that Roman still has to tend to on Monday Night Raw? What's this unfinished business that Roman has on Raw? Hmm. You know, the only thing that would really make sense is if he came with some kind of message for Seth. That doesn't make I mean, a whole lot of sense to me. Right? Yeah. He, that, that's his business. He never got a championship rematch when he had to, you know, relinquish the thing. I, I guess. It seems very. But everything else has been tied up, right? Yeah, it All seems tied up. very out of place, right? If, if somebody says, I have unfinished business at Monday Night Raw, I would assume that we would know what that business would be and that we wouldn't have to, like, sit here and speculate about what it actually might be, you know? Seems or, weird to me. Yeah, I don't know. Or maybe give some kind of hint so people can have some kind of interest instead of just, just randomly not caring, I guess. No, I was going to say guessing, but to the point where you don't even care. Strowman, Ricochet, Drew, and Corbin have their eyes on the money. Rick, I don't think it matters because I don't think anybody from Monday Night Raw is, is going to win this briefcase. What do you think of Ricochet inside of these four, though? Because I feel like he's kind of being exposed here, don't you? Uh, over, you know, this is, again, they, they don't really have a direction for him. They just know that it's all flash. People can get excited for And It's going to go back, you know, a post that I put up. Uh, what was it? Probably about middle middle of the week last week, and I broke down. You know, 
each of these competitors inside of Money in the Bank, and I understand it. And this was what was really difficult in the conversation because everyone wanted to. Well, he's such a great high flyer. People are excited. I said that doesn't make sense. That's great, but inside a narrative, inside kayfabe, why does he deserve this? What has he done since he's come to to the red and the blue? Joined in January, he's been kind of defined as a tag team champion or a tag team wrestler. That's what he's been doing. They've never were successful. They had multiple chances at, at what three different sets of titles and failed. And then even in singles competition, he most recently gets pinned by by Robert Roode. I mean, what just what gave him the resume to just be given a spot in this match? And why is he in it, and Alistair Black's not? Like, what right. what has Ricochet done that Alistair Black didn't do? Well, and that's what I'm saying. I, I, in a kit, in the sense of, yeah, he's going to be flashy. He's going to do your big spots. But wouldn't you be planning that months in ahead to set it up where he looks like a viable, you know, viable competitor in this thing? Well, Stephanie said herself, you know, that we plan our storylines out a year in advance. Uh huh. Sure, you do. Once again, that makes us both liars. Even looking at this, what do, what has Drew McIntyre really done inside a sense of kayfabe? Yeah, yeah. He doesn't have any. Doesn't that have ball's kind of been dropped, man. Like we need we need to get out of this AJ Styles program with Seth Rollins, which is actually the next headline. But we need to get out of this program and get to Drew McIntyre versus Seth Rollins because the the longer that we hold that off, the worse everybody looks. Well, and again, they're not making. I mean, sure, yeah, he, he's he's had a, a few instances. You know, he essentially is the one that put. Dean Ambrose out before his exit from the company. Uh, he is a very, very vicious psychopath, you know, in, in the way that he he kind of hunts his prey. But when we're getting down to success inside the ring, he, he's had very little of that in 2019. Yeah. How do you feel about this AJ Styles and Seth Rollins thing? Because I feel like AJ just has to turn heel out of this thing. <laughs> Well, I mean, essentially, didn't we get that movement last week? Did you take that as a heel turn? Uh, in a in a sense, but you needed someone to kind of be the aggressor. So that's walking a very fine line. You're going to need AJ to really, to really set something up to go over the top to truly define that. Because I almost took it as more, more so. He just wanted to be the aggressor. He wants to say, "Hey, you know what? I used to challenge." You know, I, I'm a main eventer as well. I just, you know, I define what SmackDown Live was. I'm coming here to Raw to make a statement. I understand, Seth, in many ways, this is your house. Yeah, I just, I, I feel like AJ Styles and Seth Rollins are too similar. Like, there's not room for both of them on the same roster. One of them's got to turn heel, and if one of them's got to turn heel, it's got to be AJ Styles. So we, we can't turn Seth Rollins again at this point, I don't think. But what, what's AJ got left to do as a babyface at this point? Well, I think AJ is so good at what he does, too. And, and I think that people can appreciate his heel work over Seth Rollins. Yeah, I agree. As, yeah. Uh, you know, you shave my back. You, you, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, I think, you know, it's just one of those cases where you'll boo him out of appreciation. Like, you know, much like you see with like a Kevin Owens or when Jericho is trying to work something, an angle like that. Yep. Yep. You shave my back. 
Yeah, that's actually a headline on WWE.com. And, of course, they're talking about the revival. Uh, Rick, I, I thought this was interesting because this is the only sentence of any importance inside of this preview that was important. In other words, this could be the beginning of a whole new revival or the first humiliation of many. The choice is up to them. This is all about the contract, right? That's that, that's really what this is all about. You either sign the contract or we're just going to bury you until it's up. Well, they got over a year on this, right? And I heard they're adding dates to one of them. They added like two months, I want to say it was. Yeah, because when he was out, was it Dawson out with his, with his jaw wired shut? Yeah. Yeah. It's a bad situation, man. All the way around, I feel like this is just a bad situation. Wouldn't want to be the revival. I'll tell you that. I think I'd rather sit at home. Call Sasha. <laughs> Let's talk about Rey Mysterio. Yeah, it seems as though now we're going to get a full-on Rey Mysterio versus Samoa Joe matchup because, you know, we did the superstar shakeup and we're all about fresh new matchups to shake things up. Oh, wait, we, we've been seeing this for like two months. But now it seems as though the United States Championship is going to be on the line. Talk about dropping the ball, man. Well, how much just goes back to the change in plans going into WrestleMania? Are they trying to just correct that? Seems like they just put it on pause and delayed it a little bit. And now that's what we're going with. Well, I mean, yeah, because obviously we had, you know, the scare with the injury. Was he going to even be able to go? We had the short match there. So it just seems that they're they're trying to get back on, you know, on the path that they had creatively laid out for this thing. And then we've got your girl, Lacey Evans. Yeah, Charlotte Light. The lady in the man's world. Huckleberry, we're, we're still building to this. Like, I, I'm starting to feel like... This is WrestleMania season, and we're still three weeks away from WrestleMania, and I just want to see the freaking match that you've been building up for like four months, except we've only been building this for a couple of weeks, and I still just, I'm, I'm over it. See, I don't know. This is, a, again, a case of what we're talking about with Kofi Kingston. You know, did the moment just, is it gone already? And it's because of how they're seizing it, you know, post-moment here. Becky right now has lost all that edge that had gotten her to this point. She's supposed to represent a badass, and she has completely lost that. She's out there pandering each and every week, talking directly to fans. Well, we did it. You know, the same old repetitive nonsense from her. And I make this comparison. It's okay to get, yeah, it's it's more than okay because it's what you're shooting for, to get that great reaction from the audience. But you don't have to speak directly to them. Stone Cold was a master of this thing. He would stay on on point, his target, his focus. That's who he was directing his word at, and in a roundabout way would excite the audiences to give the reaction that he wanted. But he was always moving forward. He had his target. He was locked in, and we are not getting that from Becky. And on the flip side of that, we're get the lady is outmanning the man right now. She came out the other day. She was very, she was direct right at Becky. And then who was the one that, you know, engaged the physicality was, was Lacey. Here's something that WWE needs to do. And this is something that's really, really small and really, really minor that will actually make their show better. All right. Quit sending talent to the ring and then going to break. 
It's killing the crowd. It's killing Becky Lynch. Becky Lynch comes out. She gets a big pop from the crowd. And then we go to commercial break. And you know what they do in the arena? Well, I guess you'll find out tonight. She comes out and she stands in the ring with all of the lights off and they shut all the music off. And she's just like there in a dark arena hanging out for like four to five minutes. And then when they come back, they crank the music back up and they turn the lights back on and they expect the crowd to be as hot as they were five fucking minutes ago. They're killing their own crowd. They're killing Becky's heat. Just do what you did 20 freaking years ago. You show Becky walking down the hall and you put on the screen, Becky Lynch is up next. And you do everything exactly the same way. Rick, why are we doing this? Why are we sending talent to the ring to just go fucking stand there for five minutes while we go to commercial and then we come back and we show you a video package and then we come back and then Mitchell Cole resets everything and then we finally go back to the fucking ring. I'll tell you what's really, what really kills me now just to go a little bit, just a little bit further than what you're pointing out is these entrances and exits at the same time. And they're doing it to the stars. That's the problem. Like, you can pull that bullshit with Elias. You don't pull that with your number one baby face on the freaking show. Well, and then the bigger issue here is, I know in their mind, their logic is, we're going to keep this hot and transition this. No, what you're doing is, it's ultimately, it's it's not so much, like, confusing and people don't know what's going on. You're just killing the heat. Emotions. Yeah, you're killing it because there's not enough time to consume what you just saw, regroup and get ready. No, and when when you shut the music off and you shut the lights off, everybody just sits down. And they wait for everything to start back up. And then you just expect them to come back with that same amount of energy. You're killing all the heat. You're killing your crowds. And then we say, oh, well, you know, Becky's just not getting the response. Well, she's been out there for five fucking minutes standing in the dark. Jesus Christ, could you see Stone Cold Steve Austin standing in the middle of a dark ring for five minutes just waiting for the lights to come back on? Get the fuck well, out of here. He'd, he'd be having a couple cold ones. My God. Let's talk about SmackDown. So Ali versus CN. Rick, I should be really, really excited about this match. On paper, this match looks really, really good. Is there any chance this will be a really, really good match? I almost hope not. Uh, not not really, really good. I'd like to see a teaser here because to me, you know, with your your hot young talent here, well, I mean, what do you want to save this somewhere? Get a little build behind these two? You would think. I think these are your two favorites to win money in the bank, personally. Uh, I think maybe, you know, what I'd really like to see here is uh, go out, give the guys, you know, a good solid eight minutes where they can really tease what's going on here, really get, you know, get fans excited for it. And then maybe they both eat RKO's afterwards. I could absolutely see that. Speaking of fresh new matchups, we're going to have a women's six man tag. Yeah, because that's fresh and new. Bailey, Ember, and Carmella take on Mandy, Sonya, and your precious fucking Sharshar. Rick, does anybody care? Like, this is just killing time until Money in the Bank, right? Uh, yeah, essentially. I mean, this is, for, for the most part, this is the entire division, right? One match. Yeah, pretty much. Got to get everybody on TV. And we probably have, probably have Becky come out and do commentary. 
Oh, God. I wouldn't even fly Becky in. It's a waste of money. New tag team champions will be crowned. Rick, this is one that's really kind of got everybody up in an uproar now because they talk about new tag team champions being crowned. They don't even have enough teams to do a tournament. There's not enough teams on SmackDown Live to do a tournament. So this is either going to be Shane McMahon comes out and hands the titles to Nakamura Day, or you're going to get some conglomeration of heavy machinery and the B team and Nakamura Day and the Colognes. Like that's that's literally the tag division on SmackDown Live. Uh, my my biggest fear here is by the end of the evening that Lars Sullivan is the SmackDown Live tag team champion. Now that's better creative than what I've kind of heard of because I've heard there's a lot of talent that is very apprehensive that Vince McMahon is going to call somebody up from NXT. And, you know, there's not a whole lot of tag teams in NXT either. Like really there's, there's red dragon and there's nobody else. And it's not time for undisputed era to make an appearance on the blue brand like this. Uh, well, you know, we're trying to, once again, we're, we're trying to establish rules that have never been established here. I mean, what, what's really going to stop them? I mean, they got a, they got a loaded division over there on Monday nights for, for tag teams. Just make a trade. You no, know, why not have someone just show up there? Yeah. Make a it trade. It have to be a trade. It doesn't have to be a trade. Hey, Roman Reigns appeared on raw. We want the revival. Maybe that's his unfinished business. He's looking for a tag team partner. There you go. There you go. That sounds good. Uh, Kevin Owens is going to respond to Kofi Kingston's attack from last week. I love the way that's phrased <laughs> because it's like Kevin Owens attacked Kofi first, but Kofi was the last one to attack Kevin. So Kevin's going to respond Tuesday poor on Kevin, SmackDown. Poor Kevin is the victim. <laughs> yes. Poor Kevin Owens. If, if only they would give him a fair shake. Oh, Rick, this is, this is just bad all the way around. Is there any chance Kevin Owens be, just takes this title from Kofi Kingston? You know, at this point, poor Kevin, he just continues to to just get lost, creative, just this cluster, if you will. Yeah, he, he's kind of floating there in no man's land. So that's it, everybody. That's going to wrap things up for this week's show. But, but... If you would like to hear more, you can tune in to hittingthemarks.com. There is a special extension for this show. It's uh, myself and our good friend Craven, the Australian sensation, talking all things Lucha and money in the bank and walking through airports and all kinds of crazy stuff. We're going to put that on the back end for the Hitting the Marks listeners. But Rick, that's it for this week's show, unless there's anything else inside of the world of professional wrestling that you want to talk about today. No, here's what I know. This morning, kind of hectic, you know, wrapping everything up from the weekend. I figure we've got a time slot penciled in with Craven at 930 Eastern. I've been on with Craven before. I know how the three of us get going. So I'm thinking in my mind, I'll cut myself out. Hopefully you guys can, you know, at least, you know, cut one third of this equation out. Maybe it'll move a little faster. And and I still think you guys talk for over an hour. Yeah, I think thereabouts. I I think there's about 28 minutes worth of audio that the rest of the public can hear. So if you want to hit that, you can find us online on Twitter at HTMPWPod online, hittingthemarks.com. Search Hitting the Marks on your favorite podcast listening device. What is this, Huckleberry? Part five of the year of Craven? Does that sound right? Yes, it'd be right. Well, we had the, the mishap. So this is kind of like the April, May. 
yeah. got it together. Well, I think he's been on three continents since the last time we talked to him. Our, you know, schedules have been a little busy, but that interview is absolutely worth a listen. Until then, you can find me across all social media platforms at NotJargo. Like I said, you can find the show at hittingthemarks.com or right here, hackerhameen.podbean.com. We're here every Monday inside the locker room. You can find us tomorrow twitch.tv backslash hitting the marks for htm sports huckleberry we're going to talk about horse racing this week this world is insane i'm excited excited for it hey you know if there was uh there's a lot going on in sports right now excited for the show tomorrow uh but kind of you know more so and i this is going to sound crazy excited for tonight going to raw uh box seat so you know we always got the real advantage there is there's a television inside the box so you can always turn to something else uh, but we're going down, going down with a number of individuals from Battle on the Border Pro Wrestling. So definitely going to be fun to hang out with all of them. So make sure to, you know, to stay locked in across all social media for me and my coverage of, you know, live, the live experience uh, at the real RBV. And, and be forewarned, it's not just the regular real RBV. It's Cincinnati Rick. My favorite version of Huckleberry number one. That's said that with a little bit of sarcasm. Alright, that's it for this week's show. We'll talk to you next Monday. We'll talk to you Tuesday at twitch.tv backslash hitting the marks Friday. Maybe Saturday. Maybe Sunday. Maybe Monday. Hitting the marks.com. For now, we're off like a prom dress. See ya!
What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Weekly Flagship here at the HTM Podcast Network. It's time once again to welcome back our special guest coming to us from beautiful Australia, a man traveling the world and making an impression wherever he goes, whether it be Tijuana, Mexico, Chicago, Illinois, back to Perth, Australia, because, well, he, he, he needs a new travel agent. Please welcome back to the show, the Australian sensation, Craven. Craven, welcome back to the show, my friend. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. I just said to you before, I might be a bit quieter now because I'm currently sitting at an airport. So um, I don't want people all looking at me if I'm yelling down the <laughs> microphone in my headphones <laughs> because I'm doing a podcast while I'm watching Planes Land. It's great. So which airport are you at and where are you off to this time? <laughs> um, I'm, in, uh, I'm back home in Perth, but I'm heading over to uh, Brisbane, uh, over to Queensland. Um not for a show, but for a, it is wrestling related. Um, can't say too much about it, but it is uh, to do with a promoter who may have signed some sort of big TV deal, and that's all I can really say about it. But that's where I'm headed uh, just for the next day, and then I come back to Perth on uh, Thursday. So I mean, it's Tuesday night here in Perth at the moment. So you're going to be there for roughly a day and meeting. So it's it's like you fly in for a meeting and then you get back on a plane and fly back. How long is the flight? Uh, four and a half. Oh, but yeah, four hours, four and a half, four and a half hours, four hours on a good day. Well, hopefully it's worth it. Yeah, yeah, I, I really hope so too. I really hope so too. Well, let's kind of run through where you've been since the last time we spoke. I know that you were getting ready to fly across the island there to go visit VPW, and then you were coming over and you were working the crash, and then you were going to freelance in Chicago. Tell us a little bit about what you've been up to in the last month, month and a half or so. Well, I did. I I, I went over to VPW. That was an interesting night. So Venom Pro Wrestling is actually in Queensland, where I'm headed right now, um, to be honest, Uh that was a crazy night. So what happened was is I, I went up against Spaceman Dacey again. However, Spaceman is currently holding the championship. Um, and he, again, um, oh, excuse me. Um, he, again, put out an open challenge, which I answered for the second time because the first time he cheated his way out of beating me. However, this time, uh, the VPW Heavyweight Championship was on the line. Uh, long story short, because we're at the airport and I've got to rush through this interview, I do apologize for that. But long story short is I won the match. However, this is how the match went. This is how the finish of the match went down. So I can't remember what I did, but I got Space Boy in line for the Swanton. I went up for the Swanton and he shoved the ref into the ropes, which made me fall off the turnbuckle. He then picked up the title belt and he went to hit me with it and I ducked hit him with a super kick, picked up the belt for myself because there was no ref watching, hit him with the belt, got back up and hit that swanton, pinned him, the crowd started counting, a second ref came out, counted one, two, three, and they declared me the new VPW champion. However, when the original ref came to, he disqualified Spaceman for pushing him into the ropes and then called the match a disqualification. So I still won, but the title didn't change hands, which was kind of disappointing. That's what happened over at VPW. So it was a bittersweet end to the night. I did put the uh, story up on my Instagram. It was kind of cool. The crowd went crazy. It was, it was, I love working there. Like I always say, it's a little country town that I don't think anyone's got anything to do, but go to wrestling shows and they really get into it. So it's, it's really cool. Sounds a lot like what happened here with the Kentucky Derby over the course of the weekend. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, it was, it was great, man. It was, it was really cool. Uh, where did I go after that? I, I had some, uh, God, I, I've done so much. I'm, I'm 
like I'm racking my brain. Um, the highlights though is obviously I went back to um, uh, the crash and had another fantastic match there. Again, won by disqualification. <laughs> now, where was this venue at? Because where was this venue? Because I saw the picture of the, the the picture that you take in all of the venues now. Where what what yep. venue was this? Because this was a pretty good just size joint. Okay, this is the order, um, the auditorium or the auditorio in Tijuana, and it's the biggest venue in Tijuana. So, and it was it was ninety percent full. It was amazing. So, um, yeah, it was the the main auditorium in Tijuana. So, Crash mainly runs there, but I know that um, when AAA has gone to uh, Tijuana, they've run at the same venue. Um, it's it's a massive, it's a legendary venue in Tijuana. It's just fantastic. So. So what's the atmosphere like inside of that building? Oh, incredible. Like like I've said to you before, um, wrestling in Mexico is just like you just can't describe you can't describe it from the meet and greet um, when fans are walking in and to the end of the show when you're trying to get out of the venue and fans queue up at every exit. So it doesn't matter who you are. Oh, I have a funny story about that really, really quickly after this. But it doesn't matter where, where you are, um, fans queue up. And they, this is, you know, 11, 12 at night. So you, you, after a wrestling show, I love wrestling. But sometimes after a show, especially when you just want to get home and you want to crack a beer or you drink a choice and you just want to have a shower and relax sometimes. Sometimes you saw, yeah, it comes with our business. These fans barricade every exit, so you can't get out because you can't just be like, you can't, you can't just, you know, if you're a superstar level, you know, you can be like, don't talk to me, and they'll still come back. But at, at my level and some of these guys, you, and I love speaking to the fans. I, I actually love it. Like it's really, really great fun. I love making people smile. So I want to speak to all of them. This particular night, I was so sore. I mean, we'd just flown in. Uh, Four fifty and I had a hell of a day traveling um there was emergency stops on the plane that's a story for another time because we literally don't have time but it took us it took us 12 hours to make a six-hour flight um because we had an emergency stop in new orleans um you know we had to sit down we tried to get another flight we called the crash promoter he got us on another flight and that was delayed we we got to the san diego airport got in an uber told the uber to drive us to the border practically begged the Uber to pay, pay him an extra 50 bucks to drive us over the border just to get us there quicker. He wouldn't do it, so we had to get out, walk, get another Uber to the auditorium, get out, put our bags down, and just go wrestle. We'd, we were meant to be there at 4. We got there at like 7.30. It was crazy. Anyway, moral of the story was we were super tired. So there was me, uh, 450, and Adam Brooks. Uh, Adam Brooks is another Australian, in my opinion, one of the best, probably the best to come out of the country that's not signed to a major promotion like New Japan and WWE. Um, and he debuted in Mexico on that show and just recently got to work Arena Mexico because he got um, to represent the crash. He's that good after his first show at CMLL, and I'm so proud of him. Um, but it was me, Adam Brooks, and 450, and we get to this entrance, and we get to this exit, sorry, and there's just a line of fans, and we just looked at each other. I was like, dude, I cannot be fucked right now, smiling and nodding. <laughs> and, just, I just, and we look behind us, and we hear this, hey, papi. And we look behind, and Carlito's behind us, and 450's like, perfect. He's like, Carly, Carly, come on. He's like, we're going out this way. Carly's like, all right. We went out, the fans stormed Carlito, and we just, like, bolted behind him. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. (laughs) 
we're halfway down the street and I'm looking back up. We, we just fed Carlito to the wolves and he's sitting there signing autographs and we're just like, we just see his big hair in the distance as we get further and further away trying to walk towards like where our lift is picking us up for the hotel. It was so funny. I was like, we just fed Carlito to the wolves. I'm not looking forward to seeing him next month when I get there because he's going to be like, what did you guys do to me? <laughs> you got it coming this time. This is what, but, the, the third but, yeah. or fourth time that you've been to Tijuana now? Uh, fourth. This uh, this is the fourth. I'll, uh, the fifth time will be when I'm over there um, in a couple of weeks. How is the response? Is the response growing every time that you're there? It is, and the coolest part is when I when I first um, I've got to lower my voice because people are looking at me. <laughs> when um when I first got there, I was you know match one on the card, which is still semi. You know, it's not pre-show. There's no pre-show there, but people are still filling up the arena. And I went to match two, match three, and now I'm stuck. There's always six matches there. And the last two matches, I've been match four. So that's, you know, just before semi-main event, which is a big, quite a big honor in Mexico to just keep moving up the card. You know what I mean? Um, because by the time you get on, the arena's got, as full as it's going to be. People don't come in for just the last two matches. It's generally the last three. Um, obviously, the beers have been flowing a lot more, so the fans are just so much so into it. Um, it's great. Actually, actually, oh man, just, the stories just keep popping into my head. Did you see a clip that I put up on my that I put up on my on my social medias when I said, "What an amazing base!" Um, when you get carried away with a lucha chant, you forget to catch the ref. Yes. You see that clip? Okay. So there was a spot where we all did dives, yeah. And at the end, I was the, the second last one to dive. And then the ref, for some reason, <laughs> in crazy loose Libre rules. Like I said, I don't even still understand the Libre rules. But some, the ref dived in all of us. But I did this dive, and the crowd started going crazy. So you watch me. I just get carried away with the chant. I don't even – I sort of know what they're saying in Spanish. So I just get it, and I walk around the other side of the apron chanting with the crowd. And I look back, and I'm like, oh, shit, the ref's diving. So then you see me sprint back and barely get there to, <laughs> to catch the ref. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I nearly, I like there was, a, there was, a, there was a pile of guys there to catch him, but still, I was like, I got so carried away, I just completely forgot that we were meant to catch the ref. So I was like, oh, I better run back. So you see me sprint back and just like sort of drop to a knee and get a hand up to try and to base his fall. But you know, it was pretty funny at the time. I was just laughing. Fantastic. So, yeah, but cool stories, man. And then um, to to kick it all off, uh, the where I was is apart from Tijuana. And honestly, at this point, my favorite, I did pro wrestling 2.0, sorry, in Florida as well. That was a really good match while I was over there last time. So yeah, I forget where I've been. Um, who did I wrestle? I, I, I feel terrible. I forgot the guy's name that I wrestled, but he was really, really good. He was one of the top students and we had a fantastic match. Um, it will come to me by the end of the phone call, fingers crossed. Um, that was over in Florida. But then I finished off the tour with, wrestling at by far my favorite company to work in the United States and that's freelance wrestling in Chicago. So obviously I, I started my career, my international career over in Indiana and met these boys. That's where I'm at 50, um, just out of Indiana and Illinois and Chicago. And, uh, going home to freelance is always just an amazing experience. Like they are so much fun. Like those shows are just ridiculous. If yeah, have you ever been to a freelance show? Have you got out there yet? No, I haven't. If you do, man, they're just um, they're just fantastic. Like they, they are late starting show. They don't start till yeah eight nine o'clock. They finish quite late, but they're a very adults only 
um, uh, well, that show, you know I mean? that specific yeah. show is getting just rave reviews online and from the wrestling community inside of the Chicagoland area. Yeah, it was it was fantastic. So um, it was me, Shazza McKenzie, who's quite um, well known in the US, and actually um, another Australian wrestler, Aiden Miller, who isn't very well known. And the, how he got on that show is he came up to me at a show uh, over at um, Adrenaline Pro in Melbourne. He said, oh, hey, Craven, I know you go to the States a bit. Um, do you mind if, can you put my name forward if you like my work? I'm, I'm going over on my, on my own dime uh, and I just want to live my dream. And he's a younger kid, but he is actually really good. And I said, of course I can. So I, I called Matt Nix, who's the promoter of Freelance. And I said, listen, I've got a buddy. Can you fit him on anywhere, pre-show anything? He's just looking to get US bookings. He's not looking for a lot. I mean, give him whatever you want to give him. Standard wrestling talk. Nick uh, sends back, he's such a super nice guy. He's like, well, listen, I can stick him in your match. I was just going to team you and Shazza being two Australians, but I can stick him in your match and make it a six-way. And I was like, sounds great. So he put him, and he killed it. He did so well. So um, he did really well. So it was us three, Team Australia versus the Take It Home Wreckers, which is Darren Corbin, um, uh, Mikey, I forget the last guy's name. I'm really sorry. I'm terrible with names because I get dropped on my head so much. But it, the match was so much fun. Like, the, if you can jump online on, uh, in, uh, it used to be Powerbomb TV. I think it's Independent Wrestling Pro TV and get the free trial and watch the match. It was just so much fun. Like, we were doing everything. We did a, a massive Simpsons reference in there where <laughs> Darren Corbin, we did this spot, and then he went under the ring and came out in like a kangaroo onesie. And then obviously Shazza kicked him <laughs> like, in the, like in the Simpsons where they kicked the kangaroo in the butt and then someone had the Simpsons flag, which we held up with the, you know, it was just fantastic. It was, it was really, really, really good fun. So, um, yeah, that, that pretty much kept off that tour. And I, then I got home and, uh, I had a show for Western pro wrestling. Um, not weekend, just gone the weekend before where I wrestled with a guy called York, um, Really, really cool guy to work. Um, and I love doing 18 plus shows because they're just so much fun. You can you can do what you want. You can, uh, you know, provided you're not doing silly things, which I would never do anyway in um, entertainment or real life, as in like homophobic or racial slurs, or because that's not getting heat. That's just being stupid, and that you don't know how to entertain a crowd if you need to use those things. Um, but you know, 18 plus shows are just fun. You know what I mean? Like, um, so I did that, and then this. Weekend just gone, um, I wrestled Bruno Nitro at the EPW Showcase, uh, which is their um, like their showcase or their, their filler shows for their big shows, which was really, a lot of fun. And last night, uh, not last night, Saturday night, I did a Star Wars event, which obviously you've seen me. I've got a full sleeve of Star Wars on my arm, so I couldn't have asked for a, a better combination of shows. I was at a May the 4th wrestling event at a bar, um, a Star Wars theme wrestling show, which was just incredible. So, and that was really good fun. It's very, very sad that Huckleberry number one is not on the call with us today because can you believe Rick yes, has never seen Star Wars? He's never seen any of them. Oh, well, you're lucky he's on the phone because I couldn't swear that much at an airport if I was going to speak to him right now. How could he not see <laughs> Star Wars? I know, right? So, fittingly enough, this entire show will be Star Wars themed. That's that's oh, just exactly. what we do. Exactly. We have to. We have to. 
And now you're going to be making your way back to the States again. You're going back to work for freelance and and maybe a couple of other bookings. And then uh, I hear that you're going to be in Vegas for uh, Double or Nothing. This is true. So uh, freelance on the 17th. Don't know what I'm doing now. I just know that they've they've put me on the show. Uh, The 18th is still up in the air. This is is in May. This is the month of May. So coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, 17th freelance. May, uh, there is a possible couple of bookings. I'm just waiting on confirmation, um, but I'll be around the same area, so I'm not going to mention this yet. And then on the 19th to Sunday, I'm doing Galley Lucha, uh, which is cool. I've always wanted to do Galley Lucha. Um, uh, speaking to 450, he just came back from doing it for the first time in Chicago, so it's amazing. Really well done. Um, so that's going to be pretty cool. Uh, then, the, obviously, the week after, I'm going to Tijuana on the 23rd to do the crash. Um, Always a good time. Then flying back to uh, Vegas, and I will be at Starcast and stuff, but purely as a fan. I won't be wear- I won't be wearing tights and stuff. I mean, if people see me, come and say hi. By all means, I love speaking to people, but um, I'm going to watch Double or Nothing and go to Starcast just for the day, just for the Saturday, as a fan because that's, this show looks amazing. Like it really, really looks amazing. So I can't wait for it. As you look at the card for Double or Nothing, as a professional wrestler yourself, what's the match that you're the most looking forward to going into this event? 100% Young Bucks versus Leeds Brothers. 100%. Like, that is just what I'm looking forward to. And it sounds like that's going to actually be the main event of the show. Well, hopefully they have more than six minutes this time and they don't run the pay-per-view story <laughs> by like, <laughs> Because, but yeah, 100%, like... Penta and Phoenix are just phenomenal. And I'm not just saying that because I love Mexican wrestling um, or Lucha Libre style. They, they actually are phenomenal. And the Bucks, you can't ask for a bigger success story than the Bucks, except if you're talking about one of my new buddies who, when I say new buddies, I've met her in Chicago. Well, I've met her before, but we actually sat down and had a chat and a chat backstage at Freelance. I'm really looking forward to Kylie's, uh, Kylie Ray's match when it's announced. Have they announced it yet? Um, I, believe she's, I, I think she is doing a women's triple threat, if I remember right. That's right. Yes. Yeah. So they have announced. I didn't know if I didn't want to bite my tongue off there. I think it's her, Brit, and somebody else. Um, Aja Kong, maybe? Yeah. But someone else. I'm, I can't remember, but that, that will be cool. I'm, so she's, um, for any of the other workers out there from the freelance area, if you've actually met Kylie Ray, she is the nicest girl you will ever meet. Like, she has literally got time for anybody. And um, the fact that she's gone from being an independent professional wrestler to she's going to be an absolute superstar, you can just tell with some people. And she's still so humble at this stage once she's been signed to AEW. Um, yeah, she's amazing. Like, so I'm looking forward to that too. Um, and obviously, you've got the brothers, I love my brother, <laughs> like Cody, Dustin. Nightmare you know versus I mean? natural. Oh man, that's that's I'm I'm team Cody all the way, but still, um, yeah, that that's going to be great. That's going to be that's going to be the match that Vince wished he booked a long time ago. When we just how that good was that freaking promo? Yes, amazing. As 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 a worker to watch something like that, how good was that freaking promo? It was that good. I'll tell you, it was that good that our, one of our head trainers at EPW um, over in Perth, Damien Slater, shared it in our group, 
and in like for all the trainees and staff and said, if you haven't seen this, you should stop what you're doing and watch it now because we should all inspire to be this good. Like that's, that's how good it was. I find it interesting because, you know, there, there's that Cody promo. There's also the Dustin promo that's out there that was kind of hyping this going into it. And and then there's the David Starr promo that he cut against Ring of Honor that was, was pulled down leading yeah. towards the Jay Lethal and David Starr match. Yeah. And then I was listening to this interview with Dave Lagana last night, and I know you have some history with the NWA as well. Dave Lagana said, you know, he, he's they're in this era where they want to do the authentic era. And of course now we're seeing the WWE is trying to do the reality era, but I like this, the authentic era. And that's, what's really making these promos is the authenticity behind them. So you're right. Like it's just, I honestly think we're onto something big and I, I don't know, like, don't, don't get me wrong, I'm not going to badmouth the WWE because if I ever got a chance to work there, I, I would. I'd work for both companies. Like I said, you know, in the past, I'd pre- probably prefer AEW. Um, but, um, yeah, I'd, so I'm not going to badmouth them because I do enjoy their products still somewhat. But <laughs> I, I can't help think that they've, they've got to be worried at some point. They've, they've got to be even a tiny bit. Um, I mean, even throwing, like, trips and... Trips and Shawn Michaels throwing in little digs at the Hall of Fame towards Billy Gunn. You know what I mean? I uh, loved Cody's response to that. Field? Yeah, yeah. So, you know what I mean? It's just like, they. I think they've got to be a tiny bit worried. It's, it's, they've got to see him as, as a tiny bit of a threat. They're, they're doing the right thing. So, yeah, I don't know. We'll just see how the show's going. I'm, I'm sure it'll be great. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, I bought a ticket, so... Um, I'm obviously really looking forward to it. I can't wait. And then, of course, there's Kenny Omega versus Chris Jericho, and now we're seeing that Jericho is actually going to challenge Kazuchika Okada for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship just a couple of weeks after Double or Nothing. This oh, could actually make crazy. Jericho the GOAT, right, if he wins both of these matches? In all honesty, in all honesty, is he, is he not already up there? Like, there's not a lot of guys that have done as much as Jericho has done. And never had a serious injury. Jericho's never had a serious injury from wrestling, has he? Like, if if, if my memory serves me correctly, he's never had like a serious injury or put him out for a long time. He and he's, Jericho is super super smart with his matches, like ridiculously smart. So, I mean, could it make him the goat? Yeah, maybe with a few straps and stuff. In my mind, he's already up there. He's fantastic. You know what I mean? Like he's he's a, definitely a hall of famer in in anybody's eyes. He really should be. He's fantastic. So, really good to watch. One thing Jericho never did that's going to happen before we get a chance to talk again is win Money in the Bank. Craven, have you ever done a, a, a like a Money in the Bank style ladder match where you've got you know six, eight guys all going in a ladder match at the same time? I actually have. I have done a ladder match in 2009, and in the match, it was in Michigan City in Indiana for Platinum Wrestling. And the only reason I remember the match, there was not many. There was me, a whole bunch of local guys in there. Um, one of them was like Shady Chris Zion, who's just a local guy. Um, I think Brutus Dillon was in there, who's another local guy from Indiana. The two names in the match were Zach Gowan at the time and Jimmy, Jimmy Jacobs. They were both in the match. The reason that I remember the match um, so well is because this venue was like an antique car museum. And the venue was like... Whatever you do, 
don't ruin any of these like $50,000 cars. They were ridiculously expensive. And oh, I remember no. in the first, first spot of the ladder match, someone kicked the ladder and it went over the top rope and just landed on this front fender of a car and just went... And I was, you could hear the promoter just cry from the back room. <laughs> like, literally cry. It was for Platinum. I think, oh, wait, if I can bring up... it's I can't even bring up my cage match. It's on my cage match from 2009. It was some ladder match at some car museum and in Michigan City, Indiana. But that's the only one I've ever done. It was great fun. Um, but there was about five or six of us in there. So it was good fun. I can't imagine. I, th- it's got to be like a lucha match where there's no psychology, right? Yeah, there's never psychology. In, in, well, in ladder matches, the psychology behind the ladder matches, you've got to use the ladder to get to the top. That's it. Done. You know, like yeah, that, but that, when, that, when, that, when you incorporate that. another seven guys into it, everything kind of just goes out the window except the finish, right? Very true. I mean, at the end of the day, you've got to use the whole point of the match is a ladder. So it's not a ladder match if you're not using a ladder. So the psychology around it is get that ladder and get to the top. We're going to do some cool shit along the way. And that's how I would, if I was putting that match together or ask or speaking to an agent, I'd be like, what do you want me to do apart from try to get that letter and get to the top of this building, you know, and retrieve whatever's hanging. And they'd probably say nothing. <laughs> that's exactly right. Do you, know, do you know, that's actually a really, really, really big gripe of mine is when you watch a tag match and the tag match is phenomenal. Like they've got some amazing technical moves and stuff in there. Like it looks really cool. But then you go rewatch. So watching it live, you're like, oh, that was cool. That was cool. What a cool move and stuff. But then you watch it back and you're like, did they actually go for a tag at all? Like, do, do, have you ever seen that? Like, they do a really cool match, but at no point when they're selling, they actually reach for their tag partner. And that's a really big gripe of mine. I'm like, it's a tag match. The whole point is to tag your partner in and out. And every time you sell, you should be looking for your partner when you're selling. And some guys just don't do that. And it really dampens matches for me when I watch them sometimes. But that's just a big gripe of mine. Sorry, I just went off on a little tangent there, but that's just something that I think of. Well, it's funny because it's it's one of the things that I've kind of been griping on for a while now that there's like this disappearance of tag team wrestling inside of 2019. And we're seeing it now. Shane McMahon's supposed to come out Tuesday on SmackDown. We're going to crown new SmackDown tag team champions. And there's like two tag teams on the entire freaking roster. So everybody's terrified. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're going to call up somebody from NXT. There's nobody in NXT. And like, I think even outside of the WWE, I can think of maybe a half a dozen really good world-class tag teams like what happened to tag team wrestling i don't know but if we're speaking of WWE tag teams i just want to know why they've changed the name well that's my flight um (laughs) um uh what speaking of tag teams i don't know what is going through the creator's mind is why are they now called the viking experience can somebody tell me this? No. No, there's nobody right. that can explain <laughs> <Yeah>. this. <laughs> well, now they're the Viking it. Raiders. They changed it again already. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, because they were the War Raiders, and then it went to the Viking Experience. And, yeah, they are the Viking Raiders. I was just like, what is going on? Like, why are they doing this? But, you know, I guess there's a reason to everything. So, but, uh, Indeed. yeah, I don't well, know. But I am, I am with you with that one. Sorry. But, uh Plug your social media and go get on a plane, man. Yeah, Yeah, I do. Well, if you want to find me, it's obviously facebook.com slash Australian Sensation. Instagram, where I'm totally active, is T-A-S, 
underscore Craven, C-A-S being for the Australian sensation. Twitter, you know what I'm going to say. Um, it still hasn't changed. But, um, hey, man, thank you for having me on the show, and uh, hopefully we'll catch up when I'm in the States, if possible. If not, um, I'll let you know that I will be back in October. I've already got some matches signed up for October, but we'll speak about that when I'm back on the show next month or so. Fantastic. Sounds good. Be safe in your travels, my friend. We'll talk soon. Thanks, mate. Always good to hear from you. Speak to you soon.